0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Volrath Feed. I'm Rich Rupp, your podcast host, product trainer, and chef here at the Volrath Company, and is always in tandem bringing you this show with my co-host uh, Justin Pearson.
1: Justin, hey, Rich, how are you today? <laughs>
0: I Sorry, left you hanging was... there. You were thinking I was
1: going to say something more. Huh? I thought there was something more. So, uh... <laughs> you know, and and I always introduce
0: you, but you know, we always have Nate. Nate's with us as well every week, and uh, you know, Nate. I don't mean to leave you off there i gotta welcome you on the show as well and help put this out so the team if you will the podcast team so we're all together today and we have got another great show i think lined up for today a little different type of food service guest today you know normally we've talked about all the different uh areas uh, within food service food service directors of course chefs independents. we've talked with uh, parts people But we haven't had anybody yet in a different type of role in food service. And today we have with us Chris Moon, who is currently the president and COO of the James Beard Foundation. So a little different angle on food service for today.
1: Conversation is going to go a little bit differently than than they typically do. But I think it, it only makes sense that at some point on a show where we profess to do our best to cover all areas of food service, to not eventually get to this point where we're talking with somebody from the James Beard Foundation. Right. So many chefs that you speak to, uh,
0: they've been nominated or they won awards and it's people who are in culinary know of the James
1: Beard Foundation. So you're right. It was just a matter of time, but here we are. Absolutely. And there's just so many things that I personally would like to know about what goes on? Because for, for most people, they know of James Beard Foundation. They know of the awards. They know it's it's a big deal in the world of culinary excellence. But for many of us, that that's kind of where our knowledge ends. And obviously, there's, there's going to be a lot more to it, everything from the criteria to um, the events that they host. There's so much more to the James Beard Foundation i'm really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about what actually goes on and you know honestly i'm really curious as to know what their feelings are over the years they've they've become more or less the barometer that people judge the the quality and excellence of chefs in general so i I wonder what chris's feeling is on that and how they got to that point and why they feel like they should continue well yeah you're right uh a chef that's nominated is instantly,
0: instantly elevated, mm-hmm. right? You can be doing your day to day and then be nominated. And then from that point forward, your day to day is different. Maybe, right. You're, you're certainly viewed differently, uh, recognized as either an up and comer or you've, cause I think they have different awards. I'm not sure exactly of all of them. I was, when I worked with, um, chef Uline that we had here on the feed, he's now the executive chef at Sonic. When we worked together in Arizona, he was nominated for a beard award and went out to actually prepare a meal in the house. So it was mm-hmm. kind of unique, big deal to him. He was one of the 50, uh, I think it was 50 young chefs to watch or something like that at the time. So big deal for him. And I'm sure a big point in his career that he would look back on and say, yeah, that, that meant something.
1: Yeah. I wonder if there's also more of a darker side to, to winning an award. In the sense of like the additional, if there's additional baggage that comes along with it, oh, yeah. you know, responsibility. You know, you think about people who win the lottery and all too often you read stories about people <laughs> winning the lottery ruined their lives uh, in, in many ways. So I wonder if it's all good things winning James Beard Award or if there's there's some additional things and responsibilities and standards yeah. that you're kind of held to for the rest of your career. Well, you're probably not entitled to a bad night anymore.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> Your food service
0: operation is now going to be looked at a little differently. And it's kind of like when you're a five diamond or you know, the, mm-hmm. the higher levels of, of ratings, whether it be Michelin stars or whatever, there's an expectation. And sometimes, you know, depending, those expectations are hard to meet. People have mm-hmm. really super high expectations of places that are nominated or have those types of awards. And uh, yeah, I suppose that brings a whole new level of, I don't
1: know, we'll call it, say stress or um, yeah. difficulty. Yeah. I'm feeling like you know, for an organization to have that level of standard, like a Michelin star or five star or whatever, yeah, the the margin for error is going to be a lot thinner. But for an organization, they can manage that. They got teams to manage that. But when you're one person and you're trying to ma- manage that that level of expectation and excellence based upon your name, your own personal brand, you're right. That's got to add a terrible amount of stress. <laughs> Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's just like, oh, no, that's something I got. Whatever. <laughs> it <you> does. Know? <laughs> it's like you used to fly under the radar now. Or, or maybe you welcome it. Yeah. Maybe people are like, finally, yes. Maybe you're the type of chef who just doesn't even care about awards and recognition and you just do what you do and people either like yeah. it or they don't. Depends on the individual, I suppose. Yeah. I often
0: think of that like with these commercials that are out now where um, I think it's um, Modelo, mm. right? The beer. And they have got mm-hmm. the guy who opened up a little right. shop, and now suddenly he does all the athletes or something. Mm-hmm. After that commercial hits, like, his business just now must be, like, everybody wants to go to him, and the, the expectation's got to be, like, everyone's got to be just fantastic.
1: Oh, yeah. You, you get that bump yep. know, in lots, lots of places, yeah, everything from Oprah's book club to diners, drive-ins, and dives. You know, I've heard of places that they absolutely regret going on that show with <laughs> Guy Fieri, the, where it's bumped out, it's moved – all the locals away from what they do they become a tourist place yeah they're making a lot more money but it's yeah. kind of changes the essence of your business yeah if you allow it to so maybe that's the key right stay true to what you do
0: do mm-hmm. it for the same reasons you've always done it and you'll probably be down the same lane and be okay when you start to maybe veer in a direction because you're trying to live up to a standard it might be where things go bad but mm. yeah i don't know for scott i remember You know, we, we worked hard. He worked very hard on preparing his meal. As a matter of fact, you know, Sedona, the red rocks of Sedona, Mm -hmm. um, part of his meal was the centerpiece. And I think we shipped a pallet of 300 pounds of rocks to New York (laughs) for the meal. (laughs) So it was, it was a big deal. He put a lot of work into it. And he, I I know it absolutely (laughs) tell you, it was probably a a great thing for him.
1: For the centerpiece. uh, That's wow. Well, the red rocks, have you been to Sedona? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sedona is a fantastic place and mm-hmm. lots of uh, great things going on there. Lots of good energy, people we'll say. Yeah. No, I don't know. I wasn't at the meal, obviously, but I mean, I don't think we just plunked a rock down in
0: the middle of the table. I think there's probably a little more artful display made of these, sure. these uh, rocks. But in any case, today we'll have uh, a little bit more insight as we get to our guest, Chris Moon, who, as I mentioned, is the president and COO of the James Beard Foundation. So I think it's a good time to Bring him on the show and answer some of our questions. Chris, welcome to the Volrath Feed.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, our pleasure. Thank you. You know, we talked a lot on the front end about the James Beard House, and I've known a couple chefs that have been nominated for awards and received awards and actually prepared a meal at the, at the house. But for our listeners that don't fully understand what the James Beard House is or the foundation, if you could just to kind of give everybody your
2: five-minute elevator speech or... <laughs> Yeah, I'm happy to. So um, the Beard House is actually just one element of the James Beard Foundation. So the James Beard Foundation, we're a national culinary nonprofit organization um, and our mantra is good food for good. Um, We really work at the intersection of where the kind of pleasure of food, gastronomy, and and the power of bringing people together around the table, where that intersects with our work to create a better food world. Um, And that's what we call good food for good. Um, Our our formal mission as an organization is to celebrate, support, and elevate the people behind America's food culture uh, and to champion a standard of good food that is anchored in talent, equity, and sustainability. So the Beard House um, historically has been one element of that work um, and certainly the Beard Awards and the Beard House, probably the two things we're best known for. Um, We use the Beard House as a platform to showcase what was happening in food across America. So chefs were invited in for one night only to really showcase um, what they were doing, what their take on American cuisine was in their home location. Uh, And people from around New York, but all over the country would come to experience a meal at the James Beard House. Um, And it was a beautiful little microcosm of what was happening in food all across the country. Um, Sadly, the Beard House was was closed um, because of COVID and the pandemic, Um, but we have reopened the facility, but in a different use um to support some of our ongoing efforts and and our mission as we move forward um and it's operating now on a program that's called beard house fellows um which is really a stage for the next generation of chefs um where we put them through a training program um help them understand kind of skills uh training business 101 small business financing etc um to help them in that next step of of launching uh, a business in the food and beverage industry
0: and, and why is it uh, James Beard, uh, the, the history behind him and the fact that his this this uh, foundation is named after him? And, and what was the significance there?
2: So James Beard um, was a chef in a cookbook. Writer, an author, an educator, um, a contemporary of Julia Child. I think in this country, many people are more familiar with Julia Child as a household name.
0: Oh yes. Um, but James
2: Beard was a was a contemporary of Julia Child, and actually, they were they were very good friends. Um, and little known fact, it was actually James Beard who had the first cooking segment on television uh, before before Julia did. Um, But during his lifetime, he wrote more than 24 cookbooks, he um, taught cooking classes, he was an authority, and one of the first people that was talking about what is American food um, at a time when Julia and others were really looking to France and talking about French cuisine and the impact of French cuisine in the United States. And so when James passed away um, in 1985, Julia and uh, some other friends of James Beard came together. Um, because the Beard House in New York, which was actually his home, um, was going to be put up for auction um, after he passed away, and it was Julia, Peter Comp, and others that came together and said, "There's so much history, American food history, that has taken place in this in this home. We can't we can't lose it. We need to raise the money for the down payment and buy the James Beard House." Um, so they did that, and then it was a bit of so now what, um, <laughs> and they created the James Beard Foundation. And in the early years, um, as probably is the case with many brand new nonprofits, um, you know, they were seeking to figure out what the mission of the organization was going to be. But in the early years, it was really a focus on um, supporting and furthering the culinary arts in America. And that conversation around what is American food? um, What is gastronomy in this country? And in 1991, when the Foundation launched the James Beard Awards, that was really a step towards um, recognizing the culinary industry and the talent and artistry that it takes to be a chef, a restaurateur, um, a professional in this industry. You know, prior to that time, it probably seems quite foreign now, particularly to younger generations, but um, prior to that time, chefs stayed in the kitchen. Um, they were kind of blue collar jobs where you cooked and nobody was really interested in who was making the food in the kitchen as long as it was delicious, but there was no kind of celebrity chef culture. Um, and that is a lot of the work that has happened in the last 35 years from the James Beard foundation, from food network and food media, and you know, that kind of certainly not just us, but, um that appreciation for the talent that it takes and the real recognition as the of the culinary arts as an art form um is a lot of the work that has happened you know during the whole history of the james Beard foundation but that's how we came to be um, and obviously our mission and our, our programs have evolved quite a bit over 30 plus years um but that's how it all started
1: when and how did you guys realize that you've really become the barometer by which culinary excellence in America is being measured. That's that's what a lot of people are gauging. And how does that influence decisions that you make in, in the awards area of, of the foundation?
2: It's a good question. And I, I can't necessarily speak to when that realization first came to be. I've been with the foundation almost 15 years. Um, and when I started at the foundation, I think there was already an appreciation that the Beard Awards in particular were looked at as the kind of standard in the industry in this country. And I I stepped into the organization kind of being told that that was already um, in place. You know, I think, I can't remember the year now, but at one point the New York times referred to the Beard Awards as the Oscars of the culinary industry. And certainly that, um, that moniker, that name, really kind of has fo- also fostered mm-hmm. um, the, the the Beard Awards as as the standard bearer in this country. I th- what I would say about it at this point in time is that um, with that also comes a huge amount of responsibility, or mm-hmm. we we accept a tremendous amount of responsibility. For what the Beard Awards can and should mean for the industry and the culinary arts in this country, um, and candidly, that the role of the Beard Awards has been evolving um, as the industry evolves, as society evolves. You know, ten years ago, the Beard Awards were really meant to be a reflection of what was happening in the industry and recognizing the best of the best. Um, but the only lens on quote unquote best in the beard awards at that time was excellence who makes the best food or has the most Mm -hmm. outstanding service, um, or has the greatest wine list, right? A Hmm. lot of things which are subjective, but really it was Mm -hmm. just all about excellence. And where I would say we have evolved in the beard Awards since that time is that the definition of excellence has changed and is evolving.
3: Hmm.
2: Um, and I think that that culinary expertise, that culinary prowess, um, it absolutely remains core to the Beard Awards and who we're recognizing. But um, but we've really evolved, particularly in the last 18 months, to recognize that that on its own is no longer enough. Um, That is really core to the people that are being recognized and, and celebrated in the Beard Awards. But there are lenses around culture, innovation, equity, environmental sustainability, you know, workplace culture that we feel you can no longer not consider in the Mm -hmm. equation of how you define excellence in this industry. And I think it's not just this industry we've seen in the last 18 months, right? The real reckoning around many of those things in many industries. So as we're moving forward the Beard Awards for 2022, we have really um, put out there that our definition of excellence is evolving. Um, and that the people we're hoping to recognize within the Beard Awards um, are at the top of their game from a culinary food and beverage standpoint, but also are people that should be looked to as leaders, as exemplars of the ones that are leading the path in all of these other critically important areas.
1: Right. That's, that's excellent. I like to hear that excellence is a moving target because it's something that can't be stagnant. It, nothing will improve and nothing will change. And yeah, more so now than ever things are
2: changing (laughs) very much so and it's you know i think that's the it's the double-edged sword um, we want to be candid right because defining excellence is a subjective process um, and it depends on who's evaluating that right Mm -hmm. so you have to really unpick the process who has a seat at the table Um, how do you get upstream of um, trying to make sure that you have the right mix of experts and plenty of diverse voices and perspectives in the mix who are debating what's the most excellent um, it's a it's a challenging process but i think it's um it, it's necessary work uh it is the next step i think in the evolution of the beard awards that was really needed um just to say as you said that the definition of excellence is a moving target um and you know, it's an exciting thing to be a part of trying to push the industry forward in that way. Um, and and as I said earlier, we used to think of the beard awards as a bit of a reflection of the industry. And I think we have embraced the idea that the beard awards should be leading the industry forward. And then what we're trying to push for in that process and the people that we're celebrating should be the ones at the head of the pack, right? That are that are really trying to bring the totality of the industry forward in terms of. Um, embracing you know, issues of equity and culture and environmental sustainability.
0: As, as you talk about those things, it sounds like the Beard the Beard Award was at one point strictly the chef. And it sounds like some of these other things, workplace cultures and those types of things and sustainability that has more to do with maybe even their the organization or the ent- entire restaurant or, or food service o- operation. Does that get similar then to some of the other awards like the michelin stars and things like
2: that or are you still feeling is it is it still more about the chef it's a great question and i think um i think that the categories are going to continue to evolve as we move forward um it is something that we have discussed a lot this year the the kind of idea about awarding a best chef and then how to recognize the team that makes that 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 makes that chef the best chef Mm -hmm. because it's not just that chef that makes that chef you know, you're you're recognizing somebody for excellence in their restaurant, but there's an entire team that actually delivers that vision. And so it's it's something that we're considering as we think about how the categories and the awards evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, for 2022, we are still in a, in a kind of framework where we have best chef or best regional chef, um, but we have been thinking about how how do we recognize their teams as a part of that moment of recognition. Um, because it isn't just one person right, right that, that achieves um, any of this. Um, so still more to be determined there as we move forward, but I, I'm glad you honed in on that because it is that is a really key distinction that I think, um, frankly, we've also really seen in the last 18 months as restaurants really stepped up to support their communities, to, to support people even when they were really hurting. It wasn't one person that stepped up, there were entire organizations that were you know, delivering meals for the homeless or for frontline workers. And, um, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole community and a whole ecosystem there that, that has to be recognized, supported and celebrated.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So when we talk about the awards and, um, how does someone get nominated? Is it, uh, their peers or like the academy awards? How do you, how do you, uh, is there an academy or how do you do that? How does that process work?
2: There's a, there's a number of steps. Um, the kind of call for entries actually just closed yesterday, um, for the 2022 Beard Awards. There's a call for entries period where, um, anyone essentially can submit their own name or you can submit somebody else's name, um, for consideration. There's a number of steps to that, but that kind of officially submits them. Um, that list then goes into committees. And so, you know, the awards itself, um, is, is reliant on a very large body of volunteers. Um, from across the country and across the industry that participate each year. Um, So there are a number of different committees. There's a restaurant and chef committee, books, broadcast journalism. There's an overarching awards committee. Um, So after the call for entries, this list goes into committee. um, Depending on the award, it's nuanced and different per award category. Um, And from there, uh, they take on the process of um, streamlining down to our semi-finalist list. Um, from semi-finalists, then um, we've got various voting rounds that take place um, after that semi-finalist list is announced, um, and those are national voting bodies or national tasters um, by the time we get to the nominee level that are visiting the restaurants, um, anonymously evaluating and casting the final bat- ballot before we get to winners. So it's, it's quite a long process. It really kicks off beginning of October, and the Beard Awards are June 13th of 2022. Um, And it truly takes, you know, that long to go through all of the um, various phases.
0: And how many, how many awards are
2: awarded (laughs) or how many people are recognized? Um, I don't have the exact number at the top of my head because we've shifted some categories this year, Um, but between Restaurant and Chef, the Outstanding Awards, the kind of special recognition awards, like Humanitarian of the Year, Lifetime Achievement, of Awards, and then all of our books, broadcast, and journalism awards—it is um, well over a hundred wow. um, that given that are awarded um, over three different ceremonies huh. um, in, in June. So, um, yeah, we cover we cover a lot more than just restaurant and chef, which I think is not necessarily um, a, a commonly known fact. Um, we cover all of books, broadcast, journalism, new media. Um, there's social and newsletter within that, and outstanding you know television personality within that. Um, and then we also have our leadership awards, um, which are really recognizing those um, who are committed and dedicated in their work to advancing the food system. Um, so it's it's pretty holistic in terms of uh, embracing the whole, the totality of the you know food and beverage industry.
1: I'd like to break away from the awards just a little bit. I'm sure we'll come back to that. But there's so much more to James Beard, the foundation, the house, than than just the awards. What are some of the other initiatives and programs that you're trying to move forward right now? And what are some of the things that you're personally proud of?
2: I love that question um, because we so often get stuck on the awards, which is hugely important to who we are um, and what we do, but not the totality of what we do. So we have an entire programs team um, and we as an organization really run programs, I would say in four kind of areas. Um, We have a suite of programs around women's leadership um, that are supporting women to try to achieve gender parity in positions of leadership and ownership in this industry. So a long way to go there as an industry, but making progress. We have a suite of programs that are focused on racial equity. Um, So similarly, parity for people of color in the industry, helping move into positions of leadership and ownership, um, gain access, um, et cetera. Uh, We have work that we do around environmental sustainability. Um, and helping the industry in particular, but also consumers move towards more sustainable proteins, minimize their waste in food at home. Um, And then the last, which feels a little broad, but I'll explain around kind of American um, food culture and leadership is really where we have recently started to do work um, to help push the industry forward in terms of that kind of culture um, and uh, sustainability in terms of business. So I think we saw during COVID how fragile the restaurant industry is, the business mm-hmm. model, the lack of safety nets. Um, and so in this bucket of work, we have been trying to do... Um, we've had efforts to help the industry try to understand other business models, ways to diversify their revenue to make them more resilient. How do you diversify your revenue so that you can provide health insurance or other safety nets to your staff? Um, so that that is kind of that bucket of work, which... Um, The word professionalization is very loaded but it's probably the best way to sum up like how do we help the industry to professionalize a little bit um, to make it a great place for people to work Um, and so those are the four buckets we have many many programs more so than i have time to tell you about um, Hmm. on this call but a couple of things that uh, i'm really excited about Um, one during uh, covid uh, so in august of 2020 Um, Really in recognition of the fact that as so many people were coming to the aid of um, many communities, but certainly the restaurant industry with relief programs, relief grants, getting cash out into restaurants to help them survive, there was complete disparity there in terms of who that cash was going to Mm -hmm. Um, at a government level, level, at a nonprofit level, um, and disproportionately um, businesses owned by people of color were not receiving that funding. So in August of 2020, we created the investment fund for Black and Indigenous Americans. And we set up a grant program um, that has been giving $15,000 grants to food and beverage businesses that are majority owned by individuals who identify as Black or Indigenous or both. Um, It's been a real labor of love the last year. um, And I've actually had the pleasure of running that program. Uh, We've now given over $900,000 to... Mm uh, more than I think 60 businesses. Um, and it's been, it's been really incredible because this is a new network for us. These are new food and beverage businesses that, that we have gotten to know, um, and come to love. Um, the other thing I've been really proud of is that these have not all been kind of standard fine dining seated restaurants. Mm. We have been giving grants to uh, food and beverage businesses that don't have brick and mortar presence. Or food and beverage businesses that are food trucks or pop ups or supper clubs, um, as well as seated fine dining restaurants. But um, really, in recognition that the way people enjoy food and beverage in America has really evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, people who are starting at businesses or early stage businesses, they aren't always yet in a brick and mortar, you know, waiter kind of scenario. They are making a baked good out of their home kitchen right? Trying to prove their concept. Um, so this has been a really, a really cool initiative um, that we're continuing, but, but to be able to provide this direct financial support to these communities um, has just been incredibly gratifying. Mm. Yeah. Um, we also, I mentioned it at the top but the other program amongst many, but one that I'll highlight is the Beard House Fellows Program um that you know at a time when the beard house has to had to close because of covid and we couldn't you know be hosting kind of consumer events packed into this townhouse um the beard house sat dormant for a number of months and then we said how can we we have this space this iconic storied you know physical space in new york that really should be put to use in support of our mission um and what does that look like and I'm really proud that we launched the Beard House Fellows Program last May. Um, we have had one fellow per month. Um, these fellows are all people that have been cooking professionally for you know two to four years. Um, so they're kind of early stage professional cooks or, or in the food and beverage industry, but created an entire month-long curriculum um, that is largely not about cooking. It's about all of the other skills that they need to make their cooking successful, their business concepts mm-hmm. successful. Um, and it's just been it's been incredible to get the feedback from the fellows about how meaningful the curriculum has been, um and how kind of game changing it has been for them. Um, and then we've been able to do such really cool things with them. We created a beard box, which we put on sale every month, which is a kind of special meal that they've created to represent their take on food. um, and it's available for shipping in in all of the um, continental United States. Um, and it is, you know, not as full cooking as a Blue Apron box, um, but it is not fully done. <laughs> um, you know, there's some reheating or final prep that's needed on the the kit. Um, but we send it out, and then everybody who buys the kit is invited to join a virtual event with that fellow, where they show you how to make their meal. They talk about their inspiration, their experience in the program, um, and again, it's been such a really cool way to help provide a platform for the next generation and to really leverage what i think the beard foundation has and as you guys said earlier in the conversation we have a stage we're known as the standard bearer we have a platform um, and to be able to use that platform to showcase and highlight and gain opportunity for the next generation um, has been really really cool and in that program we've really been able to focus on women and people of color um, which is also hugely important, given the gap in access that we see um, in the culinary community. So, those are two that I might share with you um, in terms of things that have just been really exciting, but also incredibly gratifying mm. to be working on.
0: How does someone get the beard box? They that just seems like such a neat thing. And do you have groups that uh, I'm thinking about selfishly? Our we have a, a meeting with our entire sales staff, I'm thinking we could get everybody a beard box and they could sign on with the chef and do that cooking, um, demo with them. It'd be kind of fun. So if people want to, um, sign up for one of the beard boxes, how do they go about that? Yeah. If
2: you just, um, they can visit our website, which is jamesbeard.org. And I'd say you can sign up for our e newsletter, which is called beard bites. Um, and so we, we promote that each month to our beard bites list. Um, or if you come to our homepage and toggle through the top navigation, there's a drop-down specifically for the fellows program. Uh and if you land on that fellows program page, there's an option to uh be notified about the beer boxes. So
0: that's neat. Um it happens every
2: month, usually in the third, second, like middle of the month, kind of third week of the month. They're on sale for um three or four days. Uh, and then they ship out overnight in time for the virtual event, which is usually toward the end of the month. So yeah, it's a cool. It's a very cool experience. The food has been delicious, um, and you know, the fellows are really, they're really inspirational people. So, encourage everybody to check it out.
1: Yeah, that sounds really neat. Rich, uh, I would like to back up the bus here, and <laughs> I know where you're going. So, I think
2: <laughs> I, I think
1: you probably do, but because uh, we've talked about a lot of great stuff, a lot of important stuff, but now I I need to know a little bit more about about Chris, and where you came from, how did you get to this moment in life? What were the decisions that led you down this path? You said you've been with the organization for 15 years, which means it must be a great place to be part of, but how did you get your start? I have a very,
2: uh, probably like many people, winding uh, (laughs) path. Um, I went to Boston University, I was a classical voice major, um, opera opera singer, classical Mm -hmm. voice singer and pianist, Wow. Um, At BU and graduated, decided I didn't want to be an opera singer, but I did want to do music theater, um, which I had done in high school um, and a little bit on the side during college, um, and immediately moved to New York, which obviously is the place to be for music theater and Broadway. I had the very good fortune the first couple of years that I lived in New York of um, working full time as a professional pianist. So I was doing voice coaching and playing for auditions and off-Broadway shows and you know that type of stuff. Um, and about four years in, uh, I had the realization one day that I hadn't moved to New York to be a pianist. I had mm-hmm. moved to New York because I wanted to be on stage um, as a singer and an actor and had been very fortunate to be able to make a career as a pianist, but really woke up one day and realized playing the piano was a hobby for me. It, uh, it's it's not ever something I wanted to do professionally and decided that I needed to recalibrate my life and my career choices. And the best way to do that was to go back to restaurants. I had worked in restaurants in high school and food service, and knew that if I got a job in New York in restaurants, it would mostly be at night and I could take my daytime to kind of figure out my next step. So um, I got a job as a waiter at a restaurant called Jane um, in Soho in New York and ended up working there for a couple of years and became a manager and tending, hopped around to a few other restaurants, uh, ended up at a restaurant that's no longer around called Sapa, which was in a uh, kind of Flatiron district in New York. Um, and Patricia Yeo was the, was the chef there, really great restaurant. And by the time I got there, I realized the only thing I was doing was working in restaurants. <laughs>
3: <I> was, <laughs> uh,
2: it had kind of become a, a career. I was managing, I was doing private events, I was doing a lot of work on the side with Patricia because she was writing cookbooks and going on the today show and doing a lot of things like that. And it was over dinner with her one night that I said, you know, actually, I think, I think while I was looking for my new career, I actually kind of fell into my new career, which is to be in hospitality. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it, um, but I'm not sure I want to kind of work nights in a restaurant for the rest of my life, you know, Mm -hmm. where else could I look in New York in food and beverage that would be in this industry, but you know, not in this way. Um, and she suggested the James Beard Foundation, amongst a long list of things that she suggested. Um, and it was really serendipitous timing because uh, she reached out to someone she knew at the Beard Foundation the next morning. His name was Sal. He was the director of operations at the time at the Beard House. And she said, hey, I have this guy you know, kind of interested for you to know him, keep him in mind. And Sal wrote back and said, I I actually gave my two weeks notice on Friday and um, we're looking for a new director of operations for the James Beard House. Hmm. So I interviewed two days later. I interviewed with the then president uh, two days after that. And two weeks to the date from when I had that conversation with Patricia, I started as the director of operations at the James Beard House. (laughs) (laughs) And that was in 2007 uh, and kind of went to work and was like, where am I? What happened? (laughs) Uh, you know, this, this happened so, so quickly. Um, but I've been there. Um, mostly I took a little hiatus, but I have been there since Uh. in, uh, in like seven different roles uh, in the organization. So Uh. that's how I ended up there. But I have to tell you just a funny aside that most people also don't realize, That also just kind of makes me feel like I ended up where I'm supposed to be. James Beard was an aspiring opera singer and actor who moved to New York Mm -hmm. to pursue that, Mm -hmm. uh, and ended up starting a catering company and then becoming James Beard. And so it's funny because I always feel this, like I'm in the right place. You know, I started in another place, but um, I feel a bit of a kindred spirit. And I went from one amazing group of artists in the kind of musician actor world to another amazing group of artists in the culinary space. And what I've come to appreciate about food and beverage people and just the intense creativity and commitment and passion that they bring to the work that they do every day
1: yeah
0: Chris I want to mention something you mentioned um uh, and this is where I thought justin was going before you mentioned spirits and the afterworld and just the way you described <laughs> oh yeah
1: I was holding on to that one but yeah take it away rich
0: <laughs> I have to go there now you see yeah we, we've, <laughs> heard, <laughs> we've heard we've um, heard the folklore yes, oh, yeah oh yes yes oh yeah so, well, you know, let's let's take a light moment here and just uh break away from but just what do you have on it? What do you have for us on spirits <laughs> in the afterworld? Yeah,
1: there's the stories and everything. And now we know that you you are a kindred spirit of James Beard yes. himself. So there's there's maybe some kind of magnetic connection there, maybe some experiences. Oh, it's lay it's, it on us, what do you got?
2: So this is the second time in my entire history with the Beard Foundation that somebody has asked me about this. And the first time somebody asked me in an interview. Um, I've been endlessly made fun of afterwards by the other staff um, of the James Beard Foundation, but oh, um, it's sorry. okay. We um, No, no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> there has been a lot of joking and or kind of guessing about whether the the spirit of James Beard is well and with us in the James Beard house. <laughs> and I have joked around. I've spent a lot of time in the Beard house by myself over the years um, as the guy closing up and turning off the lights at night or being the first one in in the morning. and. What I would say is I haven't had any very clear experiences that would make me say absolutely yes. But what I would say is that we used to use the greenhouse um, right outside of the kitchen as a rotating art gallery and we would hang the art and without fail every morning when I would come in, sometimes depending on the show, all of the art you know, was crooked. And it would happen day after day after day and it didn't happen with every show it only happened with huh. some shows and so we used to joke in the office we could tell whether or not james beard liked the art
3: um <laughs> so
2: that's about all i got for you nothing uh, definitive um, that's, that's great but it Thank is you. nice <laughs> it's nice to it is nice to imagine that you know that his his spirit is imbued in the space because of the history that that has taken place in the place that was once his home right um,
1: yeah right right that's well anything supernatural or not it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that that place has energy you know right. it has hit yeah and that comes with just being history you know the his home. The, the amount of yeah the, the amount of things that are just soaked up in the wood it's it's special and it's it fantastic that's being kept alive through through the foundation
2: It is. Yeah, it's a a very special place and um, evolving in terms of its use, but, um, you know, really, really core to who we are as an organization and our history. So,
1: Chris, I'd like to come back to the awards just a little bit here. And you hear stories about people when they win the lottery or when they're recognized in other mainstream media platforms. And it's kind of a double-edged sword. It can provide lots of great opportunities but also there's there's a darker side that some people aren't as attuned to is there additional responsibilities that they have to manage becoming a james beard award winner or is it just kind of up to the individual and how how they manage themselves and how they operate
2: i think in terms of there's a lot of upside so we've heard over the years and i think the downside is really not such a downside but it's maybe just the thing that people aren't prepared for and so I'll, I'll, use the example. Um, I won't name the restaurant, but there was a restaurant that won, uh, probably five years ago, um, the chef won for the best chef in their region. And it was on a Monday night at the beard awards that it was announced. And it was a relatively small restaurant and they hadn't really contemplated that they might win, which a lot of people don't, they're nominated to mm-hmm. feel honored and they're like, but I don't even write a speech because I'm not going to win. <laughs> um, and they're really not prepared for what it means to win when they win and this particular restaurant won for the best chef in their region and then went back to the restaurant the next morning and was completely underwater because every single reservation had been booked for the next like three months. Um, wow. there was not a single reservation kind of left, right? Mm. Cause all of a sudden it was like, the news was out best rest, best chef, you know, in our region. Was it a really hot food town to begin with um, that people really like go to, to eat. And that just sense of overwhelm of like, we couldn't even answer the phone fast enough. It just wouldn't stop ringing. Right. And then what it meant to try to keep up with both the demand, but then also what that means for delivering, (laughs) delivering on people's expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wouldn't paint that as much of a downside as it's, what you have to deal with on the back end of winning a James Beard Awards uh, in this time. That's obviously a great problem to have every seat filled with a rear end and the phone ringing off the hook because people want to come and pay for your food and have that experience. But then it's, as you kind of suggest, and it's about, you know, you also, the pressure of all these people coming, and knowing that you just won this award, and of course you don't you don't want them to come in and say, like, I don't understand why this guy won this award. <laughs> right. You want them to come in and be loud and right. right? really have this incredible experience. So I think yeah. there is definitely a business impact that we've seen from winning a beard award in terms of how people use that to decide where they're going to eat or, you know, seeking out new dining experiences. And it's, it's that I'd say it's like two to three month window after someone wins, if it's their first time winning, that's like, whew, okay, wait, so this is, this all changed. In terms of my operations, the expectation, right? Kind of how I now follow through on this or keep up with this. Mm -hmm. So, hiccups like that, I would say, as opposed to downside. But um, for the most part, all I've ever heard is like, oh, I wasn't expecting that, but like, wow, right? Isn't this great? Like, look what winning a beard award did for my business or for my recognition. Or, you know, now I'm getting calls to be on food tv shows or to go on you know the today show or whatever it is and and some of those things that follow that you know become really wonderful next steps um yeah in a a chef uh, in their career
1: yeah even if they know that there's going to be a bump they probably, like you said, aren't aren't prepared for, at least first time winners and from smaller places and stuff like that. Do you guys have any type of like media training kit or anything like that to help people out? Or is there resources that they can be like, this is how you should handle reviews that might be a little bit too sharp? <laughs> this is how you deal with being on the news and all that?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say we have anything specific that is just delivered to the awards winners. We, you know, some of those types of resources um, are things that I think people pick up in some of our other programs. So we have a, we have a program called our chef's bootcamp for policy and change that we've been running since 2012. That takes established chefs and really educates them on how to leverage their platform, their voice, their social channels, to obviously talk about the things that they care about. But in that is kind of basic messaging training. When do you make the decision to speak your mind or not on your social channels, right? How do you manage your brand in that space? And so there are some programs that we have that I think delivers some of those uh, resources, but it is something that we have talked about specifically for the Beard Awards, trying to develop um, a little bit more intentionally, you know, what is what is the follow on send to winners, you know, the day after they win to say, you know, here's what we have for you, here's how we can support you here, you know, here are all the things that we can do together, here are ways that we might be helpful. Um, it hasn't been systematized, that level yet but it's very astute of you to point it out because it is something that we've been talking about as a real area of opportunity
1: awesome that's that's good to hear i mean because every day it's just more and more part of our fabric as a society you know uh, our own personal brand and our our media presence and chefs in particular too who aren't used to the attention (laughs) it it can it can be a little daunting
0: yeah exactly something they're not even thinking about until it hits them and then there they are. Right. Yep.
2: Mm. Yeah. And to your point, you have to you have to be very thoughtful. There's been a lot of people saying things that they didn't mean to be taken in that way or right and or did seem insensitive because of the timing of what's happening in the world. And mm-hmm. you know that is that's the state of our society today. But everyone is not necessarily attuned to thinking that way before they post something on their channels or right or are really appreciating the fact that they are an extension of their brand, their restaurant brand, or whatever it may be, and so right. all of those things, and they do they do have an impact, um, as we have seen in the last you know 24 months. Right. It's really easy to say the wrong thing mm-hmm. and uh, shut down your business. <laughs> oh. Um yeah. It's just, it's the world we live in today.
0: Well, in responding to a review where you can clearly remember the situation, of course, the person tells it differently in their review, and you want to correct the record, but in doing so, you come off as the bad
1: guy, you know, so. All right, Chris. Well, I, th- I think we are winding down here, but I do have one more question for you, and I would like to know, how has your own personal taste in food and dining and cuisine and in the experience, the ambience, everything, how is that changed, if at all, from where you started working in the food industry to where you are now? Complete
2: evolution, as you might suspect. Um, Sure. I I grew up in Kansas City. I grew up in the Midwest eating barbecue, steak, and fast food, pretty much. Mm. I was kind of first exposed to real vegetables that weren't out of a can when I went to college in Boston, (laughs) which was my kind of first exposure to, to kind of vegetables, I would say, honestly. And I started an evolution around kind of branching out when I started working in restaurants in New York, because obviously just the dining scene and what you were seeing on menus, um, a lot of it was new to me. What I would say today, 15 years later, is that my taste has obviously changed or probably not surprisingly has just changed drastically. But what I think people are often surprised friends of mine, even, you know, there's like, it's, it's funny, right? Cause it comes with the beard foundation. I'm like, oh, do you want to come over for dinner on Friday? And then there's a whole panic attack that sets in. <laughs> um, and it's like, well, I'm still, I'm still me, right? Like I still yeah. like to order pizza, like everybody else or like a grab right. a burger or right, those creature comforts where I see the evolution for myself is I've been so fortunate in my time at the Beard Foundation to experience so much different food, different types of cuisine, different flavor profiles, ingredients that I never would have tasted otherwise between events that we host, events at the Beard House, you know, dining in a restaurant because I'm traveling for work for something else. And that's to me where my preferences for really flavorful, well-seasoned, it's, it's true, right? Salt, fat, acid, heat. Like, you know, if you want to just get down to mm-hmm. the basics, like you get into like really yummy charred cooking that you see in LA with great like citrus and acid and like just really punchy flavors. Um, and I think that's the type of food that I probably didn't appreciate or gravitate toward a decade ago that now... I completely gravitate toward, right? It's like, I like punchy flavors that are not too fussy and like, you know, didn't take 72 steps to create, but just like really delicious, great textures, great flavors, um, is what I really tend to gravitate towards. So people often ask me like, oh, what's your favorite food city in America right now? And I'll never answer that question because it's too complicated for me to say that on behalf of the beer foundation, but (laughs) I will say there are a bunch of places I like the food, but. I really do love the culinary trends in the LA area right now, because you see Mm -hmm. so much of that, right? Like charred, grilled, punchy acids, like vegetable forward with citrus, right? You get great sauces. And that to me is just, I would never have eaten that way 10 years ago. And now I'm just like, my mouth's watering, you've been talking about it. (laughs) So, but you know, I always circle back to like, let's just order pizza tomorrow night. Right. There's, there's that balance. I think that we all experience in our lives that it's like the high, low kind of got to have it all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Chris, thank you. Thank you so much for today. It was a great episode. Uh, really learned a lot. Uh, Opened my eyes and some of the great things you're doing there. And boy, I think you are the right guy for the job because it's clear you have a passion for what you do. It was just great listening to you today. So thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks. Thank you guys for having me. What a fun conversation. I appreciate the time.
0: Well, our pleasure. And before I let you go, though, we always like to ask our guests at some point in your life or something you may have read or someone's told you, uh, you've come across maybe a quote or something that's inspired you or you live by. Do you have anything like that you could share with our listeners that you enjoy? I like to
2: just, uh, my motto, shall I say mm-hmm. is, um, there's always an opportunity to, to do better tomorrow. Right. And I think we all put so much pressure on ourselves sometimes to be perfect. Uh, and we do the best that we can do, but no such thing as failure. We have to fall forward and we can always do better tomorrow. And so as long as we learn from our experiences, I won't even say mistakes, our experiences, and think about how to progress from there we're always moving forward and it's the best that we can do.
0: That's a good one. No, I like Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that as well. Of course. All right, Chris, thanks again for everything. We really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week. My pleasure. Thanks guys. You too. Okay. Wow. Justin, what do you think? That, um, oh man, great-, great episode.
1: Absolutely. Great, great guest. Could have talked to Chris for, for much longer, and and picked his brain about all sorts of things. I know, I know. Uh, we get a little excited about like, ooh, ghosts and that kind of thing, <laughs> but uh, there's so many other things that I just want to know about the house and the experiences, yeah. and you know, maybe some of the more uh, extravagant or memorable things that have happened in the house since even he's been there. But we'll save all that for another time because yeah. I definitely would like to have him back.
0: No, I I do. I would too. I I think he the passion that he has for what he does. It's so cool to listen to him. And when I'm listening to him, honestly, I try to take a, a, maybe a note about something I'm I'm thinking. And then it comes time to, to ask the question, uh, my next question. But sometimes, you know, you, you, we get a little caught up in that. So that's why I'm so thankful we always have Nate with us. Uh, Nate, can you bring home your recap? As, as I know you've um, always got such a great way of putting this thing uh, together for everyone. So
3: take it away, Nate. Well, I'll certainly try my best to live up to expectations, Rich, as we talked a lot about expectations in the show. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I can live up to mine. Um, The first thing that struck me, and I'm going to show my age a little bit here, but it's an important point to bring up. I very much grew up in an era where chefs were always cool. (laughs) Chefs were always stars, you know? And it's just interesting to hear someone who understands their food history the way Chris does. That wasn't... Other than the food being good, as he pointed out, other than the food being good and hot and delicious and on time, there was a time where people didn't really care who was making it. And I think that that still exists in, to an extent in our society now in certain situations. But like, I grew up with Food Network. I grew up with Emerald. I grew up with cooking shows and Good Eats and like all that awesome stuff. It was, it, it was good to be reminded that, that that era of chef stardom is relatively new in terms of culinary history. And I'm, I would, that was an interesting thing for me. And the other part was just, it's so nice to put a name and a personality. And I understand that Chris does not necessarily represent, he should not have to speak for all of the James Beard Foundation, but it's nice to put a name and a face to something that you hear a lot about, but don't really have a personality that you can ascribe to it. And to meet someone who is as cultured and as knowledgeable yet approachable as Chris, to explain such an important part of american cuisine and the culinary world and the culinary scene in our country and to have him explain it in such a way that makes it seem as approachable as it does and not hoity-toity and not stuck up just very formal and educated but very approachable was awesome this interview was everything i hoped it would be i had a lot of fun
0: yeah ditto yeah 100
1: so justin any uh, closing thoughts on your end you bet i would like to remind everyone to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry profession or James Beard president COO so you never miss another interview again please hit the subscribe button and while you're at it if you would let your friends know that you appreciate what we got going on here yeah appreciate that very much and let us know what you
0: think at volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed we'd appreciate hearing that too So my final sign-off, once again, if you did everything as if a customer was watching you, you'd know you'd be doing it right. I think that's so important sometimes just to kind of thinking about what you do and know that you always want to do it in the mind of a customer. So thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.